in bed at 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday like, Jesus, bring me home. <laughs> uh, and so, wow, I got so much I want to say. It's been two weeks. But first part about standing here listening, uh, worshiping, but listening to everybody worship, absolutely beautiful. And it's one of the things I miss so much when I wasn't here last week. I watched the live stream afterwards. I didn't get to sleep. Uh, but and I can hear everybody singing in the live stream, but it's not the same. Like, to be here and to, to all be together worshiping uh, God is, it's just, it's, it's something you can't replace, you know? It's something you can't do on your own, and it's something you can't replace. And it's one of the things that makes me look forward to heaven, that someday, like, worshiping with, with, with millions and billions of, of the saints who have come before us, and maybe who, who those will come after us, uh, and just to be worshiping our Creator together is absolutely beautiful. Um, a couple quick things because we've got a few things coming up. Uh, so like the Brad mentioned in the video, we've got the worship night coming up on the 5th. Uh, I am so excited about that. There's been so much planning going in for that. I highly recommend you come out. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic time of worship together. Uh, with that, uh, we've got some other things coming up. Uh, we had to adjust the schedule a little bit. I made a video that said we were going to have a pastor panel. We're going to scrap that for right now. Uh, so next week, we're going to wrap up our You Belong series with something very special. I'm so excited for uh, you're going to be hearing from uh, one of our very own sharing her testimony, um, and it's going to be broken up a little bit. It's going to be a little bit different, but I'm very excited for that. And then we're going to kick off the Book of Romans, um, and it's going to be fun, and we're just going to go through the Book of Romans, uh, and it'll take us whatever it takes us. We're going to take some breaks uh, in December and then a break in February, but we're just going to slowly go through the Book of Romans and just see what God says to us. Um, so it's going to be fun. Uh, speaking of fun, like I said, you belong. Uh, we're still, uh, this is week three, two and a half, B.5, somewhere around there, maybe sub point three uh, of You Belong. And we're going through this You Belong series because it's, it's important that as we read the Bible, we see that God calls people and says that you belong. And it's a lot of times those people who didn't realize they belonged. Um, I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't really feel like I belonged. Uh, not just in my family, uh, I was always the weird one out in my family, but in school, anybody else go to school and feel like, I don't belong here, everybody's so cool, everybody's going through puberty way before me, like it was like sophomore year before I broke five feet tall, it was, it was ridiculous, um, but God calls people and says, you belong, he calls them and says, I want you, I have a, a plan and a purpose for you, and I want you in my kingdom. And so today we're going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. If you joined uh, during church in the YouVersion app, I posted those verses in there this morning. If not, I highly recommend you do that. Um, so we're just going to read. Uh, we're going to really end up going through the whole chapter, but we're going to read these verses first. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. And about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers, your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before me. The word of the Lord. You pray with me. Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, as we come to this story Open our eyes, open our hearts, speak to us with what you would have us to hear. Help us see you clearly, help us understand you better, help us understand and see others. 
Help us have open eyes to see those that you're calling to you. And let us be tools to let them know that they're loved and desired by you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so what we're going to start with is, is God is looking for people who are looking for him. God's looking for people who are looking for him. Uh, verses 2, 4, and 22 in this chapter all say the same thing, essentially. Uh, we'll read Acts uh, ten two. It says, He was a devout man who feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. God is looking for people who are looking for him. 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong, for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God's looking for people who are looking for him. Like God is actively searching for people who are searching for him. And when he finds them, verse 35 in chapter 10 tells us, every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God's looking for people who are looking for him. And so that's why he called Cornelius. Because Cornelius feared God and did what was right. That's what Cornelius was known for. He was not a Jewish person. And again, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in the past and will continue, but there was two separate groups of people up until this point. You had the Jewish people and then everyone else. Like that, that, that was the division, <coughs> excuse me, in the minds and the eyes and the religion of the Jewish people of the day. It was, it was Jewish people against the world. But Cornelius is known as a God-fearing man. It means he's not, he's not Jewish, he didn't convert, but he believed in the God of the Jewish people. He believed that they, they had the answers. But he was still on the outside of that. But he feared God. But what, is it, what does it mean to fear God? Well, there, there's two things that it means when we talk about the fear of the Lord. And that's typically how it's listed in the Bible, is the fear of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord came upon them. They feared the Lord, something along those lines. And it's two things. One, it's just reverence and respect. Right? It's, it's to, to see God and to, to understand that he's God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of all things, that he's the one who imagined and thought up dinosaurs. He, he hung the stars in the sky, that he holds them by his power, that everything exists because he chooses for it to exist. It's, it's to, to, to understand that and stand in awe of him. It's to know that his ways are better than our ways could ever be. It's to say, Jesus, at times I don't know what to do, but I trust that you do. That's one meaning of fearing the Lord. And then there's to be afraid. When angels showed up in the Bible, they're not chubby little babies. Right? That's not how they showed up. When angels show up in the Bible, people drop to their knees and think that they're about to die. That's a fear of the Lord. It's understanding that, that God is all of that that we just talked about, and he chooses to let you live when he could squash you like a bug. It's the fear of the Lord. But what, what's great is that the fear of the Lord isn't supposed to make us run from God. It's supposed to make us stand in awe of God. Um, any lion, uh, any uh, Narnia fans? I love, I haven't read the books, uh, can't. I don't read fiction. But uh, the movies, I really enjoy. And I hear there's a new TV show coming out. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, uh, Lucy, Pevensey, asks if Aslan is safe. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. That's God. Is he safe? 
No. We have to get that idea out of our heads, that God wants me to be safe and happy and secure. I don't know who decided for us that that was who God is, but I, in my experience with God, no, at no point has he ever been like, don't worry, everything's okay, I'm safe, I won't bring you out of your comfort zone. No. Exactly. He pushes you out, right? God says, I want to bring you up to the edge. Now, at first, we're too scared of that. We don't, we, don't, we don't trust that we can go up to the edge. But then as we start walking with him and he pushes us along in different ways, we start trusting that we can get up to the edge. But God doesn't just bring us up to the edge. There are times when he says, jump. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say uh, that faith is no, trusting that the stairs, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, uh, essentially, uh, knowing that the stairs continue even when you can't see them. We have this idea that, that God is safe, and it's really a very Western, because we love safety and security. But that's not who God is. God isn't safe. He's good. There is a difference. Safety tells you you can sit here and be just fine. Safety says, don't worry, I'll, I'll explain everything as I go along. But, but the goodness of God instead says, I want you to trust me. I want you to know who I am. And the only way to do that is through intimacy. My wife and I have the relationship we do because of intimacy. And most of those moments of intimacy are not through sex. They're through struggle. They're through trouble. They're through trials and tribulation. They're through not knowing how we're going to make rent this month. It's, it's through those times of going, or what are we going to do this month? Are we going to pay the electric bill or are we going to pay the heat bill? Like, what, what are we going to do this month? That's when those moments of intimacy come, is through that struggle and trial and, and stress and everything else. And, and that joy that you have together gets built up. That's what God wants with us. But that's developed in the fear of the Lord. Fear is pushes us outside of our comfort zone. And fear, uh, the fear of the Lord pushes us outside of our comfort zone and says that I can trust this one who's been leading me. And what's interesting is the Bible also tells us to fear not. And sometimes that feels like quite the, the, uh, the dichotomy, quite the conundrum. I'm not supposed to fear, but I'm supposed to fear the Lord. What gives? Well, there's two different types of fear. And generally speaking, in life, we act out of fear more than we realize. Like, how many times have you felt like you were supposed to do something and you didn't? Like, let's say you've got a job and you hate your job. Like, I mean, I've, I've been there. Not now. I love this job. Uh, way in the past. Uh, you got a job and you just can't stand it. You wake up in the morning and you're like, Jesus, do I have to do this today? I don't, want, I don't like these people. I don't like what we do. I don't believe in the company. I don't believe in the vision. I don't like any of it. But you stay. Why? Need that paycheck. I got to get paid. But fear keeps you there instead of having a fear of the Lord, which would instead say, well, maybe I can do something different. Maybe I do have some sort of intrinsic value and worth that says that I could go do something else. We're going to operate in fear most of the time, one way or the other. So that's why the Bible tells us almost 365 times, fear not. But it also, almost that many times, says the fear of the Lord. And talks about what it means to walk in the ways of God. Cornelius had a fear 
of God. He feared the Lord, and God accepted him. We operate in fear so often. And, and, and really, the, the hard thing, Oswald Chambers says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you will fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. The fear of the Lord can change everything in your life. Everything can be different if you have a fear of the Lord. Your families can be changed. Uh, marriages can be restored. Addictions can be broken. Jobs can be improved. Finances can be blessed if you choose to have a fear of the Lord instead of fear of the world. It's really, it is an either-or option. We can fear the world. And when we fear the world, so like as a parent, I have parented out of fear of the world at times because the world's a scary place. The world's a difficult place. I send my little one off to school and I think, Oh, she's going to get bullied. She's going to get picked on. She's going to get into a fight. What's going to happen? My older boys were in school, and it's like, oh, I know they're going to get into a fight. How bad is it going to be? Is it going to be their fault? Is it going to be over a girl? It's probably going to be over a girl. Right? I, and so I, I choose not to let them do things because I'm choosing, I'm parenting out of fear of the world instead of fear of the Lord. Because if I choose to parent out of the fear of the Lord, I say, Jesus, you're big. You're good. You're able, you're confident in who you are, and I can be confident in who you are. So I'm going to choose to trust you that you've got this situation under control and you can take care of my child. I can choose to parent either fear of the world or fear of the Lord. You have to choose it, though. You can, you can be a spouse, and you can choose to operate in fear of the world or in the fear of the Lord as a spouse. To, to be a spouse and, and to be constantly worried that your spouse is going to cheat on you or that they're going to leave you or they're going to find somebody better than you, that's choosing to be a spouse who has a fear of the world. But to be a spouse who has a fear of the Lord says, Jesus, I'm confident in my relationship with you. I'm trusting you. I'm seeking you. I'm desiring you above all else. I'm choosing to put you first in my marriage and trusting that you'll guide everything else along the way. You have to make that decision. You can choose not to leave a certain life or lifestyle because that's your identity. And you fear what would happen if you step away from this group of people. Or you can choose to have a fear of the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you that you've got a way for me and you can bring me through this. Cornelius had a fear of the Lord. So when the Bible talks about that he feared God, this is what it's talking about. This is how Cornelius chose to live. This is how we can choose to live. And it's not a magic formula where it's just going to fix everything. Like, and it's, it's a constant going back to it as well. Like so many times in life, I do it all the time, where I start to operate in my fear of something else, and I feel Jesus saying, hey, come back over here. Walk in the fear of the Lord. And it's okay. You just like move back over there and start walking in that path. Cornelius feared God, but it also says that he did what was right. Malachi chapter 6, or sorry, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, mankind he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly with your God. We ask all the time, what does God want from me? Jesus, what do you want from me? He says, I want you to act justly, I want you to love faithfulness, and I want you to walk humbly with me. And we say, can I cut you a check instead? 
act justly, love faithfulness, walk humbly with God. That's what, that's what God wants from us. That's what Cornelius did. He had a fear of God, but he did what was right. Act justly is to do justice, to be concerned with what's right, even if no one else is. It doesn't matter which way everybody else is going. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to act justly. I'm going to do right because it's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter if somebody sees it. It doesn't matter if I get a click or a like for it. It doesn't matter if I get a reward for it. I'm going to do justice. Love faithfulness. Faithfulness is also mercy. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. It's just, it's a system. It's the way it works. We give mercy, we receive mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Understand who God is and understand who you are. That's really more fear of the Lord stuff. This is what Cornelius did. This is who Cornelius was. This is what he was known for. Like, they'd sit around in, in, in the little town that he lived in, and somebody would be like, oh, I go to Cornelius' house later. I'm going to, I don't know, borrow his microwave. I don't know what that means. He didn't have a microwave, and you can't borrow someone's microwave. I don't know what. Anyway, so they're like, oh, Cornelius, I love that guy. Oh, he's such an example. Even the people who didn't like Cornelius would be like, Cornelius, I don't like the guy, but I tell you this much, he's solid. Because he feared God. He did what was right. This, mean, this, this led to Cornelius being accepted by God. Like, right there, it tells us. I'm sorry. Oh, it was verse 3. Uh, he was a devout man, feared God. He was acceptable to God. Cornelius was accepted by God. But here's the thing. His acceptance was not salvation. These are two different things. He still had to hear and receive the gospel. And this is why God sent Peter to him. Why? Because John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. The path, the, the, very clear, it's receive, believe, become. Cornelius was accepted, then he heard the gospel message, and then he became a follower of Christ. We can, we can do things to become accepted by God. Like there's a lot of people who are accepted by God but you still have to receive the gospel. You still have to be able to say that, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and I trust him for the uh, forgiveness of my sins. Cornelius had to still do that. That's why Peter was sent to him. God didn't just leave it as acceptance, right? Like, you can, ex like, if, if you're dating, you can be like, yes, I accept this one. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be boyfriend and girlfriend and it's great and that's all fine and wonderful and, but at some point, that if you want that to really mature into something different, it has to move into a marriage. Cornelius was accepted, and then he believed. And what was the result of that? The Holy Spirit was poured out. Cornelius was accepted by God because he feared him, and he did what was right, and then he received the gospel, and God showed his approval of this by pouring out the Holy Spirit. There are four pourings of the Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Acts. The first one is in Acts chapter 2 with the disciples in the upper room. This is the one that we're most familiar with. Tongues of fire. Like, I, like can you imagine, like, being there, like, seeing what was going on? You'd be like, what? This is crazy. You'd probably be like, these guys are drunk. That's what the Bible says. They were like, they're drunk. No, but so Acts chapter 2. Jesus had promised, wait for me, I'm going to give you my gift, and you're going to know when it, ha when it happens. 
So Acts chapter 2 is the first pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but there's three more. Acts chapter 8, God pours out his spirit on the Samaritans and, and draws them into the promise as well. And then we have this in Acts chapter 10. So we have the Jews who received it, then the Samaritans who received it, and now the Gentiles who received it. Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Three things that Jesus said to preach the gospel to. Those are the first three pourings out of the Spirit of God saying, I'm accepting these people. I'm putting my stamp of approval on this. And then it's John's disciples in Acts 19, showing those that who were far, who understood some things, were now brought into the fullness of what God was doing. Why is that important? Because God desires to pour out his spirit. He's looking for people who fear him and do what is right. And then he finds them, he accepts them, he forgives them, and then he seals them and empowers them. Joel 2.28 and Acts 2.17 say the same thing. This is what I will do, says God says. Uh, this, is what I will, this is what I will do in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit. He says, I will pour out my spirit. He says that I'm looking for people who are looking for me. And that when I find them, I, I just, I, I, I find them and I want to make sure that they know that I've accepted them. So I put my Holy Spirit on them. The Holy Spirit is a seal. In Ephesians, it talks about that we've been, when you accept Christ, when you come to walk in faith, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. To know that it's done. God says, I've accepted, I've brought you in, and I've made you mine. I've put my seal upon you. And then he gives us power. Band can come up. We're going to wrap up in just a moment here. God is looking for people who, is, who are looking for him. And when he finds them, he wants them to know that they are his. Right? Like, I... I probably said this before and a lot of parents say the same thing when my kids when they were younger we would always tell them the same thing when they left the house remember who you are in our house that meant you are my child my name is on you when you go out into the world people aren't just going to say this is what jake did this is what jake did who's jake that's mike's boy remember who you are also remember that god's name is on that's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. God's saying, I've put my name on you, so when you go out there, you remember who you are. It's a stern warning, and that makes us walk in the fear of the Lord. But it's also an invitation to power, an invitation into his fullness, because the leading of the Holy Spirit is an everyday kind of leading. I saw somebody, uh, a friend of mine, she's a, pa uh, a pastor, she mentioned the other day, she said that so many people are looking for the, the gifts of the Spirit, but don't want the relationship with the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I earnestly seek them. I desire for healing because I want to see God's people healed. I want to see signs and wonders so that people know that Jesus is real, that he has, he has power, that he has healing, that he blesses, that he takes care of things. But more than that, I want somebody to wake up. I want me to wake up every day and be able to hear the voice of the Lord say, I love you. Go tell somebody else I love you. I was leaving the house the other day. I was praying with... Uh, talking to Pastor Jason over at Crossroads, and uh, he said, well, what can I pray for you for today? I said, well, I'm going out to do some stuff today. I've got a lot of things on my list, but I want to be able to stop for a divine appointment if God puts somebody in my path. 
that's what I want. I got stuff I want to do, and I want to get that stuff done. But if God wants me to talk to somebody, that's what I want to do. And sure, it, the last appointment I had for the day, God put somebody in my path, and we were able to talk. That is so much more important than anything else to me. Because that's, saying, that's, that's God saying, I heard you, and I'm listening, and I know that you fear me, so I want you to share that. That's the filling and the pouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what I pray for journey. That's what I pray for each of you in your life every day. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, yeah, I pray for the gifts. I want Christy to have the power of healing, so every time I'm sick, I can Christy pray for him. I'm dying. She prays for me, and miraculously, I'm healed. That'd, that'd be amazing. I'd love that. But I also want it so that when she goes to the Cheesecake Factory, she can share Jesus with, with the waitress. Because that's going to last for eternity. That's what I want for us. That I want us to be a people who fear God. I want us to be a people who, who do right. I want us to be a people who... Every day we fear God and we say, Jesus, you're so big. You're so magnificent. You're so wonderful. I just have no choice but to bow down in reverence to you. And people who in that also go, God, I want to do what's right. I don't care what it costs me. Because it will cost. But we don't care anymore. Because if you start with a fear of the Lord, then the cost doesn't matter. The inconvenience doesn't matter. When God puts something in front of you and you say, this is a moment for justice. You want to see somebody get worked up. Show my wife injustice. Oh my gosh, she gets like she's a fiery little apostle or something. I don't know. She's ready to burn down a courthouse. Like, I, calm down. Especially when the ref throws a bad flag. That's every time she's ready to go. We have to be a people who are committed to justice that when we see injustice we say Jesus I will not stand for this we have to be a people who love mercy and faithfulness who celebrate it that when we hear of somebody who is who is has faithfulness we we put them up on a pedestal more than than some celebrity or anything else love mercy, who are willing to say, I forgive. To understand it doesn't mean it's all fine. Understand that it doesn't make everything better. Understand that now just because I said I forgive you and I'm going to try to walk in that forgiveness, it doesn't mean I'm not hurt, but it means I'm committed to mercy because I've received it. And I believe with everything that I am, if that we will be a people who are committed to that, and God will pour His Spirit on and we will walk in the fullness of the Lord. Why? Because he said so. All, all of my authority as, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a leader, come from these words. That's it. This is where all of my authority is. If I get worked up about something, if I get excited about something, if I boldly say something, it's because I believe that it's in this book. Everything outside of that, it's up for debate. Lord Jesus, I know that I love you. And I know 
that I am surrounded by people who love you as well. That, that we are a people who desire you above more than anything else, that we want to see you more than we want to see anything else, that we want to experience who you are in the fullness more than anything else because it's about you, Jesus. And that I believe that if we can be a people who are committed to these things, that you will, you will show us how to bring your word and your truth to those around you, to those around us, rather, those who need you, that you will lead us into dark, scary places because that's where the light is needed, Jesus. That if we will follow you and not be so concerned with safety and instead be concerned with the fear of the Lord and committed to justice and faithfulness and walking humbly with you, that you will lead us into dark, scary places and we will light it up because of you. Jesus, we, I, I pray for your power to be in this place, for your anointing to be on your people, that we will walk in the fullness of who you are. And in doing that, we will see people confess you, that we will see lives changed, marriages restored, we will see uh, addictions broken, we will see generations changed because of your goodness and who you are. God, I believe that you are looking for people who are looking for you. I confess and commit that we are people who are looking for you. So Jesus, make yourself known. And let us walk with you for your glory and for your namesake. Amen. And stand. We're going to have prayer teams in the front and prayer teams in the back. Uh, just uh, some time to respond as the Lord leads.